Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Brian O'Connell. And I'm Sean M. Thompson. And today we're going to be talking about Under the Skin, a 2013 sci-fi film directed by Jonathan Glazer, uh, co-written by Glazer and Walter Campbell from Michael Faber's 2000 novel. Starring Scarlett Johansson, shot by Daniel Landon, and scored by Mika Levi. So that's where that's what we're doing today. And uh I so we covered birth uh on an earlier episode. Yes. I can't for the life of me remember if it's the same um cinematographer or not. I don't think it is. Uh I can check. Okay, because it looks it looks different, but then again, it's a very different style of film. It is not the same cinematographer. That film is Harris Savides, so this is... Yeah, he, he worked with somebody new for this film. Okay, that's what I figured, because if you go between Birth and Under the Skin, they do look so different. Yeah, significantly. I And it's also worth noting that um, I did some research into the production of this film, under the Skin, he was working on a draft of the screenplay before he made Birth, but even though these are back-to-back in his filmography, there's basically 10 years separating the two. Like, he made Birth, and then it took him 10 years to get Under the Skin made, and that's, you know, that that was his next film. And now he's... Yeah, it, the whole process is very interesting. Um, yeah. So he got the book by... Uh, what is it, Michael Faber? My, uh, Michelle Faber. Actually. Michelle Faber. Yeah. Which I have read, by the way. And the the book is very different mm. in the book. And full spoilers going ahead, just in case anybody hasn't watched the movie yet. And I'll try not to spoil the book too much. I don't really mind. But, but I, I mean, I got to talk about some of it. So in Under the Skin, the book, it seems to take place much more in the countryside the majority of it, like when she's driving around, she's picking up hitchhikers. It seems like in the countryside. And then another major difference is in the book, they went explicitly into what the character was, like what they were doing and what she was like as an alien. So in the book, they're like sort of like dogs. They're like dog-like creatures. And it's explained that the main character had all these crazy surgeries to look how she does. And they're very it was very painful for her and she's, you know, so in that regard, it's similar where they're wearing sort of a disguise, but in the film, it's much more of a, like, like a suit. And in the book, it's much more like she just completely had her body, uh, surgically altered. Well, the interesting, I haven't read the book and this is my first time seeing the film, but the interesting thing to me is that this is, I was always like, this is a sci-fi film. This is about an alien. But there isn't even anything in the movie that really, like, clearly indicates that she's an alien, even. No, the only reason you infer she's an alien is because of the book. Yeah, and the context of, of, yeah, so it's just, the movie, and the movie, I I hear in the book as well, it's also kind of explained what her, her purpose is, and... Yeah, in the book, and this isn't giving too much away, but in the book... Uh, the people she picks up are for food. Yeah. You know, she picks them up and basically they get turned into food that's then, you know, transported to her home planet. Yeah. In this, that is, it is completely, 
unknown really what she's doing yeah and this you really don't i mean you get the sense there is a hierarchy you get the sense she's a little lower on the totem pole yes there that is she's like yeah. kind of a worker drone um but you never really understand why she's procuring all these men why they have yeah. to be men for one yeah it's or even really what happens once she gets them. Yeah, no, I mean, so just to dive into some of the impressions, I, I quite enjoyed this movie. It had been, you know, recommended to me for a long time as like a... I mean, I'm glad you actually liked it because sometimes it can go the yeah. other way where <clears throat> if someone's, you know, been recommending some, something to you for so long and then you actually watch it, you can be disappointed. Yeah, but this one, this one paid off, I thought. But it is a movie I would describe as very opaque is the word i would use and that's not a bad thing but it's in the sense that this movie and it kind of reminds me of the tenor of a lot of like contemporary like weird fiction whatever you want to call it but it's very yeah it's not about explaining anything or even like there isn't even a clear like thematic concern necessarily it's just a really putting you in a very alien experience you know it's very um abstract at points uh kind of it's it's a it's just a and it's very you know it's it's worth noting i think it's not just visually but it is very different from birth which which i wound up seeing before this for this podcast we covered birth like i don't know a few episodes ago uh the one thing that uh links the two to me is jonathan glazer's apparent affinity for taking big Hollywood actresses and putting them in just totally strange and uncomfortable and alienating movies, which is, it's a pretty admirable thing to do. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I I think one thing about this film that is so bizarre is like, first of all, Scarlett Johansson does a really good job. Yes. Which is refreshing uh, because sometimes, you know, she'll be in the Avengers movies and you can tell she doesn't have to try that hard. But yeah, this one, she's very good in it. And to the point where like she's nude for like so much of the movie and she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. And I'm still sort of like, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, no, I mean, well, Scarlett Johansson, she's been in kind of definitely like kind of bland, big blockbuster movies, but she's also done a lot of like interesting and challenging stuff as well. I think, I mean, she did Marriage Story is what she's most... Yeah, which was great. She was also this was this must have been really hard. Uh, when she was in Spike Jones's Her as a Siri app, basically she doesn't. Oh, that's right. And yeah, that I mean, I was very impressed with her performance. And in that movie, she's just a disembodied voice, but she conveys a lot of humanity and emotion. Whereas in this movie, she's very, it's a very physical performance, certainly, but she's... But she's just sort of not there. She's totally alien. And I saw going to the nudity, it was, there is some article saying that, like, this is a major Hollywood actress doing extended nude scenes in a film, but it didn't occasion any, like, like wow hype or whatever like it normally would because the tone of it is so weird and like it's not it's not objectified or sexualized at all it's just very like it's it's such a it's it's such a different type of of nudity that it didn't even occasion 
you know, controversy or debate as it usually would. Yeah, I mean, it's borderline like like an anatomical text or like going to the zoo and yeah. seeing a monkey walking It's very by, clinical like... and cold. But yeah, it's a very it's it's a very powerful performance and it really does hinge on her being able to sell this really what who for most of the movie is a blank slate of a of a figure but she's very convincing in in this in this specific role yeah i think just because we covered it her performance isn't exactly like billy bob thornton's in the man who wasn't there but there's definitely elements of it in that it's a very strong performance yeah which must have been very hard because you can't really rely on like over emotionality like you're kind of just just have to be there yeah it's very um it's like the the opposite of the type of acting we we normally expect in in most movies that the you typically want to be able to latch on to the protagonist in some way but you know with the man who wasn't there and then with this character who doesn't even have a name at any point in the movie it's very alienating and i don't want to use the word cold but like cryptic and at points clinical it's very you know detached and that's actually hard to do so it's 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 quite it's quite admirable to see an actor be able to play somebody who's like virtually unreadable yeah i think one of the strong points of this film is not only does she uh, come across as very alien, yeah, but the um, the way the film is shot, it actually makes everyday what to us would be mundane things seem very alien. Oh yeah, there are some sequences that are purely abstract, like the opening, which I thought was really striking and interesting, and in that it's like I don't know, it's like a series of lights and elliptical circles, like moving into these configurations and it eventually forms an, a human eye. And it's, I mean, I, I guess I read it as like her birth or her creation or something like that. Yeah, I read it as like her eye was being Yeah, made. something like her, you know, being, you know, having a form or something like that. But then just the location photography, which is very beautiful. It was shot in Scotland and just, I mean... It's it's gorgeous to look at like the mountains and the fog and all of these like beautiful locations. But yeah, it is kind of it's not a typical way of shooting um, landscapes and film. It's very like I don't know, a- alien is the right word. It's quite atmospheric and strange. Uh, one of the interesting things, uh, one of the more you know technically impressive things about the film is the use of hidden cameras. Are you familiar with that aspect? Yeah, no. So the way they filmed this was they actually, instead of having what they normally do, which is just like an enormous rig set up on the car, Yeah. Uh, they, were ma- they managed to hide cameras inside of this van, and I'm not sure how they, I'm not sure how it works, you know, because it's like, I guarantee you there were some people they didn't ask if they could be in the film. No, I mean, what, what I read was that a lot of the men she picks up were not told that they were being filmed and they were only afterward told and they had to sign a form yeah i'm sure there were plenty of performances where they're like no and then they couldn't use them. yeah and then some of those men wound up going even further into the film and 
going into the uh weird you know sex voyage that she she takes them to i believe so that's like which is really i mean pardon the pun but it's very ballsy because it's like (laughs) they're basically i mean not to get too lewd about it but i'm pretty sure both of the men who fall into this or sink into this pit of like goo uh black liquid I'm pretty sure they both had erections. Now, whether those were real or just like they were digitally, erect, they were erect. I mean, like, so it's like you're not even just agreeing. I'm going to be naked in this movie that you randomly filmed me for. I'm also going to be erect. That's crazy. I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't think I'd agree with that. Personally. I know it's 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 very like I don't know if those men. I might agree to be in the van scenes, but I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to get naked. Yeah, it's like and. I was kind of surprised because, and I guess this points to a harmful double standard in in our culture. But you know, the the naked female body is very familiar to to film viewers, but you don't usually see naked men in film. It's kind of you know infrequent, and then no, and if you do, it's usually like you never see their their front genitals. No. And I mean, even in movies where you do, I remember like a friend of, of a mutual friend of ours, Michael Adams, I think, I think it was him, was talking about Midsummer, like minor spoiler, but a male character has sex in the film and there's just no erection at all. So he was like a little unconvinced. But in this film, they're, it, not only are they naked men and you're seeing the front, but they're also like at least partially erect and it's very like i don't know that's like it's surprising to see in film no it's very shocking i i know because like i take note whenever i actually see (laughs) it this will sound bad either way so i'll just say it whenever i see an erect penis on film i like take note of it i mean it like a not in a porn like a in a regular mainstream film or television show the only other place i can think of it and I believe it's like sort of also digital, but the first season of American Gods, mm. uh, there's a gay love scene between basically a djinn, like a genie, mm. who is like pretending to be a taxi driver mm-hmm. and one of his uh, fares he picks up. And so it's not only like important because it's like just a gay sex scene that they don't like cut from and anything, but it's yeah, like yeah. there's definitely like full erect penis, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only other film I've seen, I honestly think an erect penis in, is probably Persona and maybe one of Pasolini's uh, trilogy of life movies, but I don't think so. Oh, maybe, but... Yeah, so normally you only get it in like, you know, like a heavy art film. Yeah, and this is kind of a... Yeah, I guess it is sort of an art film. Because it was released by A24, which it's not an art house studio, but it isn't quite a mainstream studio. But it is a film that, you know, would be put into a bunch of theaters, not just art house theaters. And it is... I mean, it's on Netflix, so that tells you something. And it's Scarlett Johansson, who's a very well-known actress very well celebrated but yeah yeah i'll be honest i'm usually i'm perpetually shocked that he was able to get like nicole kidman and scarlett johansson i guess not that shocked because they're very uh well written and well directed films yeah but nonetheless they're so weird but nonetheless (laughs) yeah it's definitely like it's not like they're easy roles like they make he makes them look really bad no it's not um 
And it's not roles that you can trust an audience will show up to either, which I think is depressingly reflected that uh, in the fact that while this had an 8 million budget, it only scored 5.2 million pounds at the box office. So it is considered a... Yeah, I think a film like this, though, they make all of it back in probably. DVD sales. That is probably true. That, that makes sense. But um, getting to more to the film itself... I I don't really know if I can comment on the thematic elements of it because it's I'm still absorbing it and trying to work through it. Certainly it seems like there's something in there about gender and you know women and men, but I I can't quite tell what it is. I've seen it 3 times now, I've told you this. Um Yeah, yeah. I don't know that the film really comes down on gender roles one way or the other no yeah i think it hints at it hints at the way i think that men are just like more or less like you know led around by their dicks and will go into harm's way just at the bat of an eyelash from a pretty woman yeah i don't know i mean but it, but it's not entirely that. Yeah, I don't even know if the film may... And this, again, is not a criticism. I don't even know if the film may have a specific theme in mind, you know? It may just be... I mean, I think the main purpose of the film is to convey a very alien uh, atmosphere or vibe and to sort of get into the head of someone yeah. who, whether they're an alien or a demon or a fairy or whatever the hell she actually is is not a human being and is uh, watching human culture from the outside and then trying to participate in it as well as they can yes later in the film about after meeting with a man with i believe elephantitis which is a facial deformity and that's a real man yeah yeah it's not makeup which i thought was admirable you know because those people don't tend to get roles in films but here they it's usually if they need a person with a deformity they use facial makeup or something like that right and good on him too because like not only did he agree to be in this i mean it's a very uncomfortable scene we'll get to it yeah, but, yeah. but he also agreed to also be naked yeah yeah so it's like the fear of being a like if i was in a movie i would be afraid of just being naked but this man has had to deal with you know, being stared at his whole life, and then he's acting in a major film, and then on top of that, he's also getting naked. It's, I mean, it's very brave, and <laughs> I, I applaud it. Yeah, it um, is. But yeah, it's after this meeting... So, well, well, let's go roughly through the plot. So for the first half of the film, she's kind of cruising for these men, and she takes them to a... And I find the fact, in retrospect, that a lot of these conversations were filmed hidden. It makes the men's advances kind of weirdly, like, charming almost, or gross. It it depends on the guy. But it's like... Well, because they're, you know, there's a very strong cinema verite vibe because a lot of people didn't know they were being filmed. Yeah, and it's just like... So it's not like movie dialogue where someone's trying to hit on someone. It's like like a real person and doing like it. it's kind of like it's it's so rewarding i mean one wonders how they didn't immediately go oh you're scarlett johansson yeah but. i don't know no, apparently uh, according to 
Scarlett Johansson herself and Jonathan Glazer, it wasn't an issue. I mean, they... Maybe it's because she's normally blonde? I don't know. They said that was one of the reasons she has black hair, but she's still recognizably... She still looks like Scarlett Johansson with black hair. But yeah, yeah, um, I mean, it's... And also, just to talk about the, the footage itself... For something that was filmed like discreetly with a hidden camera, it looks great. It doesn't look like it was like a covert shot. It's it's no, it looks like they had like a legitimate rig or like they were just lit well or whatever. So yeah, it's very it's it's very impressive in that respect. But she takes them. These were my favorite scenes in the film. Personally, she takes them to this black room. It's like a void with like a reflective surface and she strips and they strip. It's very like, like balletic, you know, like almost choreo choreography in the way they're moving. Yeah. Like it's a give and take. It's like, she's walking backwards, usually disrobing and then they're walking forwards, disrobing. Yeah. One of them is very hilariously like they cut from a nightclub where he's dancing to the room and he's still sort of dancing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That was pretty funny. There is humor in here, which surprised me. I mean, that's the most pronounced instance of it, but there's another one, but we'll get to it when we're going in order. Yeah. And they just it's very I was like wowed by the images. You know, he just they just It's very evocative. And I think being perfectly frank, I'm fairly sure Stranger Things stole that yes. device yes. for one of their seasons. Cause it's basically the same I, exact I thing. thought that as well. Whatever um Eleven does when she goes into psychic whatever. It's very But yeah, the the men walk forward and just sink into this black liquid. And I'm pretty sure that they somehow did this all practically. Yeah, I think it was a pool with with like a floor that lowered as they were walking or something like that. I don't know. Okay. It's it was it sounded um I'm getting up the Wikipedia page. Let me just see. I'm curious. Um okay. I mean, it seems like there were mirrors on the floor at some point. Yeah, oh, um the crew built a bespoke set with a reflective floor, blackout and custom lighting. The actors were filmed walking into a pool whose floor sank as they walked. And there was some computer graphics there as well. Yeah, and they they probably had to go over it a little bit, but Maybe that maybe the erections were computer generated. <laughs> but who knows. Uh but no, and then I think it's the second time we go to this room with Dancing Guy, we see what happens to the men who submerge, and it's the creepiest thing. I loved it. It was just great. Yeah, it's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen um, on film. It's basically, so he sinks under this black, into this kind of black ocean. Yeah. Um, And... It's really bizarre, too, because they don't seem afraid. No. They don't seem, like, terrified. And they seem just sort of, like, mildly like, huh, this is odd. And the, it isn't like... They're not, like, drowning or anything. It's not... No, like, like you. it seems like they can breathe. It's not like normal. water, even. It's just some sort of, like, space. But, yeah, she's... the it, One of the eerie things to me is you see her walking off above them, that she's just... She's just exiting. And 
they basically true to the title um become bags of skin basically is that yeah they sort of like puff up like a like a balloon yeah and then like in like a snap they're just like a deflated paper bag you know it's very and he he lingers on these images of the skin just kind of like like drifting around and like curling and it's very it's just very uncanny and unsettling a I mean, like, yeah, I think I brought up the balloon because that is it's sort of like they they're like a balloon that's been in the water and then they pop. Yeah, they they bloat beforehand and then they're just like these like, yeah, it's like deflated and it's they intercut this with very striking images of like, I don't know, like what looks like blood or fleshy material going through a drain or a trough. I mean, you're led to believe that's the inside of that person that was just transported to this weird kind of drain. Yeah, and then there's just intense red images that are very abstract. I found there's, I think it's a very beautiful film visually, and I was like, some of the abstract stuff was especially with like that intense white light against the red backdrop it was very very striking but yeah i think the most pronounced thing about um under the skin and what makes me really excited for him as a director going mm-hmm. forward cuz you sort of saw this in the fall also the stylistic elements yeah um which to be fair if you've seen his music videos like they were in they're in there yeah. like his stylistic elements honed his skill i mean skill. in terms of like having like faces that are slightly deformed and yeah strange kind of abstract visuals yeah i'm very his next movie which is also apparently taking him 10 years to make after under the skin uh because what it's been seven years and it'll probably be a few years before it comes out yeah but he's doing um a movie about auschwitz which Seems like a left turn, I guess, although the fall kind of indicated that thematic direction, I think. Um, But he says that he wants Auschwitz to be a character and it to be like, like the place to be a character that that it and he says he hasn't seen that done in holocaust movies um no and i was gonna say you know your first response when you hear oh there's gonna be another you know movie with nazis or the holocaust is i hate to say it my first response is just like another one there yeah i mean there there are a lot of them and a lot of them are really bad (laughs) but um and some of them aren't even bad they're just like you know whatever you've seen schindler's list it's like okay well the next one is basically just doing the same thing i'm 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 very interested in the history but i've been generally disappointed with because so few movies really get under the skin wink wink of of what made it i mean like you can get to the obvious atrocities of it on the surface but few movies really get into the deeper, like, truly, like, existential and philosophical horrors of it. And I think... Yeah, like, the day-to-day of just, like, actually having to live there. And being... Like, there's films that approach the, obviously, the terrible parts, but... I mean, like, yes. It's all terrible, but I mean, like, you know, the the 
the kind of the calm before the storm moments. I don't know that we really have a, many films with that. The only film, I mean, the the best film I've seen about the concentration camps is probably Night and Fog, but that's half an hour and it's all documentary footage. So I guess it, I mean, it has a bit of a one up in that it's, yeah. it's you know, actual images. Um, and then I think, I mean, movies that get to the real horror of fascism and Nazism that I've seen, which would probably be Come and See and Solo are the two main ones. Those don't take place in, in concentration camps recognizably. They're more, one is actually the war front, but it gets to this, this similar like essence of what was going on and the other is a total fiction but um at any rate uh watching watching this film and birth and getting a kind of handle on jonathan glazer's stylistic sensibilities and his tone i think he's gonna make but the thing is if you go back and watch one of his first films it might have been his first film um sexy beast Mm. Also totally different. Yeah, like, no, that's true. That's true. Um, but I trust him to make... I mean, I, I've liked everything I've seen. No, the through him. line is, I have yet to see a Jonathan Glazer product that has been bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think, especially with the direction of The Fall, I mean, and end of this film, there is some kind of... <sighs> harrowing scenes here i find the baby stuff on the beach pretty uh teeth grindingly uncomfortable (laughs) at point yeah that is one of the more uncomfortable moments when the dog is it's not very hollywood either because you know the hollywood version would be like maybe the baby's sitting there yeah but it wouldn't be like screaming and they would also keep cutting to the baby but like he just has it screaming, like sometimes off screen, sometimes in the back of the frame, and it's very like it really gives you the sense this baby has just been here or has been on that beach for hours. It is just so, it's so heartless and like. And just, the guy it, it comes shows back what the to pick up you know, like the lack of emotions. Yeah, he, that these characters have. He comes back to pick up like the clothes or something, but he leaves the baby, and it's very, it's very like. It's upsetting. Uh, I find the scene where the dog is drowning and the woman is drowning is also upsetting, but less less so, obviously. But um, I mean, it's upsetting, too, because it looks so realistic. It's very realistic. Like, you wonder how they actually did that. They must have had somebody... I mean, they must have had people off screen that had, like, scuba gear, maybe, or something. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not been to Scotland... Um, but I have been to Ireland many times in, in a similar lake. Those waters are ice cold and those waves aren't faked. It's very, you know, it's, they're intense if, if you get further out. So, I mean, it's, it's another aspect of this film that feels almost uncomfortably realistic. But yeah, it's, I, I'm, I think it's, I mean, I'm at, again at a loss to try and decipher what it means, and maybe trying to decipher what it means is the wrong thing to be doing. Maybe that's like the wrong way to approach this film. 
Yeah, sometimes I think that the purpose of the film is just you're seeing things the way Scarlett Johansson's character sees yeah. things in this just sort of cold, clinical way without any uh, emotion applied. Yeah, and that's... So it's yeah. like someone is drowning. There's no, oh my God, someone's drowning. There's no, hooray, someone's drowning. It's just, someone is drowning. Yeah, yeah. Baby is crying. Uh... Baby crying. Yeah, it's very, like, it's almost animal in that regard like very reptilian almost yeah it's strange but the interesting thing is after meeting that man with the facial deformity she decides i don't know if she decides but it seems like she's trying to make a bid for humanity like she goes to a she she gets rid of that like kind of menacing for a coat first off I think and then um goes to a restaurant in the highlands and is trying to eat cake but it's really hates it she hates it um or can't eat it or something and she she seems to form a relationship with with this man who somebody pointed out the irony like they go to a castle together and he carries her over a puddle and it's like you know she doesn't care about the puddle she would just walk right through the it's like it's it's kind of you know a man doing this very sentimental romantic thing to this like literally non-human entity but when she starts to she examines her body like she's she's familiarizing herself with it and then when she is starting to have sex with this man it almost feels like romantic to me that's how i felt during it like that was the one break in the emotionless tone especially with the music which We'll talk about the score a little bit, but it's an amazing score. But it seems like she's like actually evincing some capacity for tenderness in that moment, which of course falls apart as soon as he starts to presumably attempt to penetrate her. Then she she like bolts upright and is examining her genitals, and it's it's very strange. But I mean, I think that's one of the funnier, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the funnier moments in the film is like it's pretty much assumed that as soon as he penetrates her, she sort of freaks out like she didn't entirely know what was going to happen. Yeah. And so she grabs a lamp and then it's like she's just sitting on the edge of the bed, just like really intently staring at her genitals. Yeah, that's While this man of... is sitting on the bed, kind of like, what? Yeah, it's very... I was assuming it was because there was something like under the skin. <laughs> again but you know like like that there was some sort of thing or or it could be that she was just she didn't know what was going to happen and that was that was it but um i don't know there was something kind of tender in that scene to me that you don't see anywhere else in the movie maybe maybe in the interactions between her and the the deformed man where I, it's so sad when he's coming up to her and he's like, this is a dream, is what he keeps saying. And it's like, that's so... Yeah, it's some really heartbreaking. Like, their whole exchange... Like, he 
she picks him up and he's like, I'm going to the grocery store and it's at night. And she goes, why do you shop at night? And it's like, it would seem really cruel if you didn't realize she was an alien or kind of not human. Yeah. Yeah. It would seem like she was being sarcastic, but it's like, she proceeds to be like, don't you have any friends? And he doesn't really answer. Girlfriend. Don't you have a girlfriend? And he doesn't really answer. And it's just really hard to watch because you're like, that's that's rough. Yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing about this scene is that she doesn't the com the the question she's putting forth, it's like she doesn't seem to notice any difference between this man and any of the other men that she's met with. Which I mean, that does sh- I mean, because human people would judge that man differently than the other men, but she doesn't seem to observe that there's like a significant difference, which, you know, is representative of, of, of like an alien gaze. Um, she compliments him on his hands, like you have beautiful hands. And it's just very, I don't know. It's like, there's an interesting interplay in that scene between, between coldness and warmth almost. I, I found that aspects, you know, those kind of conflicting elements very interesting um but yeah and then in the conclusion she exhibits genuine fear which we haven't really seen from her up to that point right yeah no i think the fear that she shows at the end of the film is probably the most she emotes in the entire film yeah it's um She's in the woods. She's presumably left this lover, I guess. I don't know. But she's left the man she was staying with and is walking in the woods, falls asleep in a cabin. There's a very beautiful shot of her sleeping, like, superimposed over images of the trees in the forest swaying. It's very, it's very evocative stuff. Um... But she wakes up and and a strange man who she met earlier on in her walk is attempting to rape her. And she runs and he starts chasing her. And he knocks and she's very scared. She lets out like cries of fear, which it's it's again, as he said, you don't really see her emote anywhere else in the film. And it's a very suddenly it's like a burst of actual like frightening things going on um compared to the other scenes which are much more subdued and disturbing um and it is an interesting um flipping of the script because they apply the same uh element of the score they've used when when the basically she's stalking her prey, yeah. like these men she's finding. Yeah. And they flip it for this one where it's this man stalking her. Yeah, it's I noticed the same that. music, so you get that sort of interplay. There's a, yeah, they use the same uh, track or whatever that she, that played when she was uh, devouring men. So there is like a kind of link there that's very interesting. And that, you know, she's still being followed by men but in this this time she's running away from men not leading them into a you know whatever dimension or substance that she was before 
Um, but then at the end, I mean, she gets knocked to the ground and her skin peels. And it's evident that there is some sort of, like, dark-skinned, like, almost like, like, with the baldness and lack of distinct facial features, it reminded me of, like, a mannequin almost beneath. Yeah. Yeah. And But what interested me, and maybe I'm reading too much into this detail, but what interested me is when she takes off her own, like, the Scarlett Johansson face and holds it in her hands, the Scarlett Johansson face is still blinking. Did you notice that? I did notice that, yes. I wondered what that... I mean, maybe it's just another weird detail. But it, to me, it almost seemed like it was it was trying to say that this persona had taken on a life of its own that was distinct from maybe the entity beneath it, and that it had succeeded in some way in attaining a level of humanity... Because it's it's blinking and it's crying. And I, d- I don't know, it seemed, it just it was a strange detail because, you know, I was expecting her to take it off like a, like a costume, basically, but it's still moving. And I, I don't know, it's, there's a lot of like, things to w- wonder about with elements like that. Um, at the... Yeah, no, there's, um... I have a different intake. Let me redo that. I have a different interpretation. Most of the times I see it. Um, The first time, the first time I think I thought similar, like, oh, like this, the outside is like, it's almost uh, automated. Yeah. Or perhaps, you know, like perhaps it's robotic in some ways. And mm. that would make sense because uh, under her skin, the, the creature she is, it doesn't appear to really have eyes that blink or anything like that. No, no, not really. So at first I thought maybe it's automated to do that. Like it's almost like animatronic. Yeah. Oh, maybe. But, but then you can also see it as like, well, maybe the skin itself on the outside, maybe that is a separate like entity. Yeah, maybe. And it's just sort of been worn by this other creature, which is somehow, I mean, there's no answer either way, but that the interpretation that the, the skin itself has sentience and then the thing under it is different is just very chilling. That is chilling. I mean, and it, it could draw attention into the way I'm just like free speculating at this point because I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't know if this film is trying to say anything, but one of the fun things about it is that it gets you wondering about a lot of things, but it's almost in, like, if we're going to take it to a human level, although it is in a story about an alien, like, the difference between the... the sometimes very pronounced difference between the person we project to the world and to other people and the person we are inside, which is sometimes much less clear and unformed than like the people we adopt uh, the 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 faces we adopt in public and 
and I think that what you're saying, it, it, it is an uncanny and frightening idea that that she's some, she, there's like something of her that's existing on the outside and something completely different on the inside. And that these two things are almost separate, like on different levels of, of sentience is very, it's a, it's a frightening thought, but it's also, I don't know, resonates with human experience in a way that I think is very, it's very interesting. You could, I mean, I think this is one of my, even though it's never explicitly said this is a film about aliens, I think it's one of my favorite films about aliens yeah. because it actually captures the experience the, of something the alien. The experience of seeing something and you just can't classify it. I think a lot of the alien films we've been so pre-programmed at this point where it's like it's going to be humanoid and it's going to be gray and it's going to have the same size eyes that they normally, you know, this yeah very big eyes on either side and you're going to know that's an alien and sort of by the very definition of alien it's no longer alien because you know what it is yeah it's it's we but th- this is truly alien where you are never really told what it is yeah you don't know if it's from space you don't know if it's from a different i mean it could very well just be from kind of a dimension overlapping our own yeah. It could be a fairy. It could be it, it could be something terrestrial. It could be anything. But it It could be, you know, like a changeling type of a thing. But it captures the, something yeah. more fundamental about aliens than we see in most alien movies. And I can't think of many movies that really do that, that really try to put you there. Um especially within the science fiction genre, the closest I could right now think of although i could probably think of others if i tried was maybe arrival but even that yeah something like arrival but even arrival winds up humanizing them a little bit at the end yeah well even arrival they're still playing off of established and you know everything's playing off established alien lore but with arrival you get a ship yeah so like from the beginning you're like this is an alien spacecraft and you can kind of infer from there with Under the Skin, from the beginning, you don't get any of that. You get possibly an eye being formed. Yeah, but even that is like, those images are abstract enough that you could project a lot from them. Um, somebody, that's what I assumed it was an eye being formed. Somebody was like, it could be a representation of her coming to Earth with the eclipse like. Uh, it could be, yes. It could true. be a lot of things. So, But yeah, no, it doesn't, it's not... Again, there are no clear indications what she is or where she's from or what the point of her whole mission is. I mean, I think from the written perspective, from the script level, that's really genius because from what I've read, his first attempts were very much just to do the book just in a visual form. Yeah. And he tried that and just found that it wasn't working for him. Yeah. Yeah. So what he did instead was went back and he sort of, he captures the spirit of the book in that it's this, excuse me, um, this very alien creature uh, that is incorporating among human beings and sort of in some way using them for nefarious means. Yeah. 
So he captures that in Under the Skin while not having to... And I, I still enjoy the book for what it is, but he yeah. doesn't have to do what the book does where it explicitly says there were dog-like creatures yeah. and their planet has this like... They go into how in the planet there's like levels. So like this, the main character in the book, she's lived on these underground levels where they're kind of like a slave class. Yeah. And they're like working their way up. And that's why she's like basically harvesting these humans because she's trying to work her way up. And yeah. And it's interesting, but I can see why you would maybe try to adapt that and think this is just too ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, like for me personally, here's what it reminds me of. And I have nothing against like high sci-fi stories where it's like getting into the lore and the background and whatever. But it's no, like neat. I really love that style of sci-fi too. It reminds me of like, like I'm gonna use a term I have not heard myself say in ages, but the Cthulhu mythos stuff to me, and that like he started off Lovecraft started off writing these stories to capture a sense of like cosmic loneliness and terror, right? But then people got bogged down in the specific mythology and systems he'd created, which are fun, but you see them gradually get less and less alien and more and more familiar because it just gets, it becomes like terminology after a point where it's just... I mean, the biggest issue, I think, with Lovecraftian adaptations, particularly with Cthulhu, and I say this as some asshole that was on a Lovecraftian podcast <laughs> yeah. for like five years. So trust me. Yeah, you know. fucking hours to talk about this. But <laughs> the beauty of Lovecraft's work is that it is like under the skin where you get the sense that he is exploring and he's trying to put a very vague face to a feeling or to, a, to an emotion. Yeah. And what happens is people have to quantify things. So very quickly it went from Cthulhu happens to have bat wings just at the moment to Cthulhu is a thing with a squid face and bat wings and it's X height. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's I mean, it get it. When it was always supposed to be, I think, an avatar, it's always supposed to be just the form that Cthulhu decided to take that specific time. And that in his true form, it would be incomprehensible or... Uh, not you wouldn't be able to approximate it to anything and i think right that, yeah i mean um scott r jones calls it the kaiju problem yeah is that where you take lovecraft's creatures and since they have been described in some way you and you are trying to do it in a visual form you pick a form yeah which is fine because you sort of have to but the more you pick that form someone else picks the same form and suddenly it's no longer an approximation. It's literally, this is what it's supposed to look like, which was never what Lovecraft was after. And it's also, it just, and because like, you know, the thing, like the drawings I've seen of Cthulhu in general, and they're great drawings. There are a lot of great artists but who yeah, do it. It's the kaiju problem. They all sort of look like a vague Godzilla. But they're like, it's like, it's cool. Like, oh, he has tentacles. And like, you get like down to these like, and then you hear people arguing about, like, you know, what society Cthulhu had in the ancient times. And it's just like, this is getting so far. The whole point was to capture something 
that wasn't... Oh, I've had so many arguments with someone who will remain nameless about... <laughs> um, like, I, I'll go into it briefly, because I don't like self-inserting into this shit. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like any horror writer, at some point I attempted to write my Lovecraftian pastiche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in my story, it's like, I was playing off of, there's a part in the story where it's like artists are inspired or kind of driven for whatever reason by Cthulhu. Yeah. And so I was trying to do that and someone was vehemently arguing with me. Cthulhu doesn't get involved with humans. And I'm like, then how come humans know about him? How come humans dream about him if he doesn't get involved? Doesn't Lovecraft in the original story explicitly say that he influences the dreams of artists? Isn't that like the first part? It's literally something like that. But this person was trying to say, well, he's completely alien. Like he doesn't care about humans because there's that line about humans. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's like, like, you can not care about ants and be aware of ants. Yeah, that's the best, if I'm thinking of the same meme. But but that's, like, that's the shit I'm talking about, though. I spent fucking years arguing with people <laughs> when I think Lovecraft, like... Didn't care. Intentionally didn't want to bog it down with, like, well, he can talk to people in dreams, <laughs> yeah. but he doesn't choose. Because it's like, the more you try to, like, butterfly Cthulhu, like, the less interesting... That care even saying he or she like we're gendering fucking Cthulhu, Cthulhu which yeah. never had a gender. I know. I, get, I don't think he has a big swinging dick. You that's know. Pretty, <laughs> I mean, the people who get worked up about Cthulhu's gender—that has to be the funniest thing. But I mean, but people will spend years and people will spend lifetimes arguing about this stuff. Yeah. No. I mean, we could get into a whole Lovecraft conversation, but like, I know I don't want to though. But I think I know what you're getting at though. I think the beauty of Under the Skin it is sort of approaching that um, very Lovecraftian. Like, I am attempting to show to somewhat show this inexplicable kind of ethereal unknowable thing unknowable source yeah it's like just to wrap that conversation a bit it's like like these these original uh concepts were made in response to the cliches of like gothic and ghost fiction right like to yeah. create something that was really challenging and different uh, but people basically turned Cthulhu into a vampire, if you know what I mean. Like, a cultural yeah. property that has a set, um, you know... It's just like what we did to Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, like... Uh, the, in the... in the, I believe the original title is the postmodern Prometheus. The modern Prometheus, yeah. Or the modern, not the postmodern, yeah. blah. Um, but... What we did was we took a very vague, like, he's been cobbled together from the dead parts of other humans. Yeah. And then we had the universal picture, which, sure, it was great. It is, yeah. But, but it, pretty soon, Frankenstein's monster was green. Yeah. Never green in the, you know... Well... He's never explicitly said he's green in the... Suddenly, he's always got a blockhead and little bolts in his neck, and we've quantified it down to now it's like we've got him as a serial mascot. Yeah. I mean, it, the common link between these characters, like Cthulhu, Frankenstein, whatever, is that they... Dracula. Dracula to a degree, although Dracula was... He is based on, like... But, like, 
Yeah, he's based on Vlad Tepish. Yeah, yeah, but in the sense that these characters were created as like to push the boundaries of what was known in horror fiction or in general fiction at the time. There wasn't really horror fiction in Mary Shelley's time in the traditional sense. But like, you know, in Mary Shelley's time, the stories were all about ghosts and religious visitations. And like, she was like, what if we did something that was like new and cutting edge and that like it's created by man through science and it's an individual and then lovecraft was you know what if we embodied the unknowable forces of nature and space and time in like unknowable terrors and you know with this film getting back to under the skin it's like it's not i mean like the stuff about it being like a canine alien that's like surgically transformed for this mission to turn people into meat. Like that's all cool. It's certainly interesting. And I think it worked for a book. Yeah. But this film is getting more to that, like, like almost primal level where it's just something. Yeah, I think wisely as I was kind of trying to, I don't know if I put a pin on it too well, as I was trying to say, I think what, glazer wisely did was in he took his early draft which was much more concrete yeah and decided it would be better to kind of pull it back and yeah like kind of boil it down to its essential elements like okay it's this unknowable sort of alien presence presence that is for some reason acquiring humans and i mean that's the beauty of the book and the beauty of the film yeah it's i mean it's I I read about how him and his co-writer, they worked for a very long time on the screenplay, and with each draft, like, progressively less and less detail was added, to the point where it's, there's no backstory in this. And, like, you know, I introduced it as a science fiction film... There's nothing even recognizably... There's no, like, yeah, there's no recognizable science. It's not even... It's it's something that's... I mean, I would honestly, personally... Not that genre really matters, but... I would personally... My experience of this film is more akin to a horror film than a science fiction film, and that... I would say horror and... Even to that, and depending on your interpretation, it could be seen as a fantasy film. Yeah, it could be absolutely anything, which is the whole point of creating a character like. I mean, this. I've heard some very convincing arguments that it's a fair that she's a fairy. Yeah, it, I mean that has relations to like very the old conceptions of fairies, like you know you know creatures that live in yeah again like we co-opted fairies and made them these cute little disney things but like early fairies are fucking terrifying yeah they're very these sort of like unknowable strange creatures in the forest that like demand you give them a baby or something and they they make people disappear and you know people are never it's very like that that yeah and i think i brought up the changing but the whole thing about the changeling is that it's this weird kind of mannequin-esque you know like very blank form that can change itself into the guise of a human child yeah and i mean that and and it being in glasgow 
could suggest that as well, and that it's it's a Celtic. Well, I don't know. If- yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily he was trying to do that, but it's definitely. No. I think what's great about the film is it is never explained, so you can watch it one time and think, okay, let me try to watch it as if she's a fairy and see how that plays. Yeah, it's or the first time you're thinking she's an alien, so how does that play? Or then you're just like, it's who knows what it is, interdimensional being. How does that play? Yeah. It's very, but ultimately, and those are fun games to play, and I will be revisiting this film um, because it's it's very rewarding, but ultimately the question of what she is is ultimately irrelevant because she's something that can't be known, in not by any metric of, of human understanding, and it's the film is just describing this phenomenon of her moving through the world a total like the there's an interesting counterpoint in those scenes with the men early on like the men are very human and recognizable and it just puts the like the little rituals of like flirting and courtship and all of that into this weird perspective where like they're using pickup lines on her, and it's just like... I mean, pickup lines, I feel like, are already ar- archaic. Yeah, yeah. But they become divorced they, from yeah, the they normal... they become even more bizarre and ritualized when they're in this film, because, like, you're s- they, they're all very similar, too. It's like, you're very beautiful, or you're gorgeous. And, yeah. And she's like, yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in the same way that... Um, the landscape looks transformed. It's by putting somebody so alien into our culture and context, it forces us to look at our culture and context with different eyes. And like, well, that is, I mean, like it forces us to engage with the strangeness of everyday life. And that's, I mean, not to sound like an idiot, but another film that does it well is the first Terminator. (laughs) Where you have the first and the second, you know, you've got this robot and it's just sort of like, like just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is like, this is an abstract and opaque film, but I don't know, something about the structure, it doesn't seem inaccessible to me, not really inaccessible. Like it's... It can be difficult and frustrating and, you know, again, much as the people who went to see Birth for Nicole Kidman probably came out a little upset and surprised, um, the people who came to see this for Scarlett Johansson, um, it's not a an experience that I expect many of them were were anticipating, but... I do think there's enough, there's a difference between a movie that is completely alienating and has nothing to to give the audience, and a movie that, while presenting a very alien experience, is still, like, watchable, and you can enter it in a way that, you know, more, more um, removed films might not. So this is a film that... <sighs> I mean, we've been talking... I mean, it has a surprising amount of humanity for a film about someone who doesn't really have human emotions and doesn't understand humans. Yes, and it's compelling, you know? Like, it's... 
you're you want to see what happens even if you don't know what's happening or, or why it's happening and you do get you get to see the whole gambit of um of humanity basically you see kind of the skeezy pickup artist type dudes yeah but then you also see this very charming man who goes out of his way to help this woman who he doesn't even know and lets her sleep in his house and yeah and it, he really isn't like doing it just to get sex out of her no. like he doesn't even seem interested initially like he cares and he cares the... he's just making her food and giving her a place to sleep and and then at the end you get probably like the worst humanity has to offer which is basically like a serial rapist yeah you get the def- who lights things he doesn't understand on fire yeah and it's very it's kind of heart i mean i don't know if it's heartbreaking but it's quite sad when she gets lit on fire i don't know why but this is a movie that somehow makes you at least a little bit empathize with with something that literally isn't human in in any meaningful or traditional sense and i think um i think one of the stronger decisions for me in the film is when she is lit on fire she runs but she doesn't scream it's yeah. sort of like once her skin is off all of the the vocal qualities and the emoting it's just gone. and the nerve endings of it you know and then yeah it's like you almost you you barely i don't know maybe she's in pain you don't even know it's very i mean it's very and you don't even know to be fair you don't even know if she really dies like that form gets burned down but they really the ash harp on this shot of the ash floating up and there's a a cut to one of the men in the motorcycle kind of staring at the ash yeah. as it's floating so you can infer from that that they can just sort of like mutate into another go, yeah like go find where the essence of this thing went and just sort of remake her yeah it's i mean with the that's inferring a lot but you know it's like i don't know i the way the film is made i never got a concrete sense that there's a definitive like this creature or this thing is dead yeah it could be it obviously could be but there's no definitive like it's dead yeah it's because there's no definitive like what it is. Yeah, so you can't make any assumptions like that. Because like it. that that very first scene could be showing that she sort of exists in this sort of bodiless form. Yeah, initially. yeah, she doesn't need a body exactly. Um, I wanna. We should probably, you know, the runtime's getting a little on the long end. Yeah, so. we should probably wrap this up. Um, I mean, generally, listeners. If we get past the hour mark, you know that it's an interesting film. At least we have a lot to talk about with it. Uh, I would highly recommend this film, yeah. as stated. And I know I've probably... Most of the films we've covered so far, I've seen at least twice. But yeah, this is a film that I think stands the test of time. I mean, it was made only in 2013, but I think you can watch this in 2033 and still get the same stuff from it. Yeah, it's a film that... I think will be studied for a long time by like students and a, I, I mean, w- its reputation will only improve. Um, but that said, it already, I mean, despite the commercial failings, it has a pretty good critical reputation and, and it, and I mean, the thing is too, we've, and with a film like this, you do want to talk about the plot and you know, what is she and all that stuff. But from a strictly technical level, it's a very well-shot film. It's got some really interesting abstract 
scenes. The score is really great. The score is amazing. I wanted to find a place to shout that out, but it's it's very mesmeric, you know? It's like it's So it's like it holds up to analysis and critique, but at the same time just from a strictly filmic level, it, it works really well. Yeah. I mean, it's almost I mean, the dialogue, what there is of it in the film, there isn't much and it's not always very meaningful what the dialogue is. So No, some of it is, I mean the first half hour, I think she's just asking for directions. Yeah, it's almost And it's like, interesting in that she sort of subtly like, Do you have a family? And if they say yes, she's like, Okay, thank you, but <laughs> when they're like, Oh, I don't have one, she's like, Oh, okay, do you need a ride? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's but it's like at at points it's just basically a procession of images, which I mean, I don't really subscribe to this, but a lot of people, a lot of critics will say that cinema attains its purest expression without dialogue when it's just images, because that's the the distinguishing characteristic of, of the film form is cinematography and editing. And this film... Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that either. I don't I agree with it. why people say that, because... yeah. I mean, strictly speaking, I do think the stronger cinematic films at least have that element to them yeah. that they can hold up visually. Yeah, I don't entirely subscribe to that. And there are a lot of very dialogue driven movies that I love. But but yeah, like I mean, like Citizen Kane, which is largely regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. Full of dialogue. Rosebud, you say that everybody knows what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, nonetheless, there's something about of that statement in this film and that. It really is, you don't get much about the plot or mood from the dialogue at all. It's it's just the faces of the actors and the lighting and the abstractions of it at points, the general mood. You get all of that from the, from the cinematography and the score. So I, I highly recommend it both as a compelling thing to talk about, but also a a visual and cinematic pleasure in general. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go, because I perpetually forget to do this, we have a Patreon. Patreon. So if you're a fan of this, we've got uh, two mini episodes up. One is actually about the short film, The Fall by uh, Glazer. Yeah. Which I believe he did after Under the Skin. After Under, that was fairly recently. Fairly recent, yep. Yeah. And we also have one about uh, the Mennonite Gospels. Yeah, great show. And I'll probably be posting some essays and more mini episodes and all of that stuff. So check it out. Yeah, if you feel like spending a dollar to get extra content from us, please do. I'd appreciate it very much. It's nice. Otherwise, <laughs> pretty much our exclusive hub on the internet, despite the fact that we could have a website, but I'm very lazy. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, at CelluloidSits, C-I-T-Z, on Twitter. That's primarily me, but Brian hops on occasionally. Very, but very occasionally. But that's like our, you know, that's where I do the day-to-day kind of stuff. Usually it's just me retweeting shots from films or, you know, news about a new movie. But that's sort of our hub. Like, you know, I'll link the episodes there. And kind of the official like website for the show itself is uh 
anchor.fm slash celluloid. Could be celluloid citizens. I can never remember if I shortened it, but it's on anchor. If you Google (laughs) celluloid citizens and anchor, it'll pop. And even if you Google celluloid citizens, you can just do it that way. Yeah. Come, come and say hello and give us a dollar a month. If you want to, (laughs) please give me a dollar a month. It would be very nice. All right. But until then, I'm Brian O'Connell. And I'm Sean M. Thompson. And don't go into dark rooms with mysterious women. I make no promises, but... (laughs) 